Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon hope you're well my guest is a prolific singer-songwriter who at the time of this recording is on the come down of an international incident involving a member of the wiggles of all things (laughs) but at the time as thunder is booming over here but at the time of the podcast release, has a new album by the name of I'm Fun, out mere days ago. Please welcome Ben Lee. Welcome. How's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. I don't know. Yeah, as I literally, as I started the recording, there was a major bit of lightning that happened, and I got deeply distracted as I waited for the inevitable boom. But, yeah, thank you again. Thank you for your time. Like, I, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no worries. I guess got to start somewhere, but the deeply unfair, difficult to, or easy to ask, difficult to answer question, but how are you and how have you been for that matter? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm well, um, I feel very, uh, creatively inspired. I mean, for, for me as a creative person and, you know, my wife, my, my, we're in a household of artists, you know, so when we're feeling creatively excited and positive about the future and inspired, it's like a harmonious household in a sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're in that space and, uh, in general, um, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's almost like, I think all of our personalities have got sort of torn down and reconstructed over the last couple of years. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's so I feel like a sense of um, maybe more not not cynicism or anything, but just maturity in the way I I don't know. It's sort of like a lot has fallen into perspective, and I my my priorities seem fairly you know <laughs> fairly well established uh, through this experience and figuring out what you know. It's funny when you're like. It, we were sort of living in this and we continue to this sense of like, is it the end of the world? Which is not, it's a very um, sort of solipsistic uh, approach to think of even just for our species that the end of our species would be the end of the world. But, but, but that type of atmosphere does force you to confront what you want to spend your time doing and everything. And so that's, yeah, I've been in that like everybody else. I, well, I completely relate to all of that. And when you were saying that too about just the that mentality, almost like that there's always some point in every generation where they're like, is this the end of the world? And that um, a word that I wasn't aware of until relatively recently, the uh, the ethnocentrism of it all. Yeah. That that all of this is a culm- that this is all the culmination. Our generation is the culmination of all these things. And and it's kind of funny. Like I get how that is a thing because I think that way sometimes, and I'm like. Is it though? I mean, in some ways, I'm sure, but not like the preeminent culmination of everything. Well, it's weird because, yes, we are a species that is in love with the narrative of our own destruction. Yeah. Um, But we are also mortal beings. And I think that's one of the ways we just grapple with our mortality. The fact that everything that has a beginning has an end. And it's very sometimes hard to make sense of meaning and life and everything in the face of mortality um so i don't know whether yeah yeah we we do we're apocalyptic 
we, we love it. We just love the apocalypse. <laughs> We're mad for it. Our religions, our, um, you know, both the right and the left politically seem both obsessed with it in one way or the other. Um, I got kind of interested recently. There's a thing called solar punk. Um, S O L A R. And it's, it, it's like a, um, it's almost like a science fiction literary genre that is um, kind of people are experimenting in now. And it's based around reimagining the types of tales we tell about the future for ourselves. And that, you know, a lot of our stories we've had have always been about moving into this world of sort of cold, hard technology and mechanistic ways of living. And, and, and there's a generation of science fiction authors that are trying to reimagine what our world could be like so that kind of working with the concept that before we create something, we have to first have the idea of it. So mm. it's based on integrating technology and um, climate sort of, um, you know, responsibility and uh, regenerative agriculture. And, and, and yeah, it's just a, it's a, trying to find new ways of new stories to tell ourselves. Because as a musician, you know, I'm all my songs are little stories about what my values are or what the values of my community are. Or, and you just realize, like, that's really how we've built our culture, just with all these mini stories, millions and millions and millions of them. And then we end up making them a reality. So I kind of like the idea that collectively we need to sort of reimagine a non-apocalyptic future in order for us to actually achieve it. That's really interesting. I also just like the um, kind of the inherent hopefulness of that, of this, I don't know, I just the, the imagery of like a bright green, beautiful, sustained future. Is, yeah, but, but, is but really also, nice. yeah, but also like, where technology is integrated into that because yes. there isn't really a scenario that's not going to, unless we really did wipe ourselves out and had to start again. I, I don't think there's, a, I, I think that the most likely scenario is that technological innovation helps us create a sustainable way of living on the planet. Um, so yeah, it's, it's sort of just this trying to think less, I guess, less binary between technology and, environmentally sustainability being environmentally sustainable and just like yeah kind of like as opposed to this like let's leave and go to mars um let's (laughs) live here with all of our skills and all of the wisdom that we have accumulated as a species in a way that makes sense i mean it makes a lot of sense and also the well even to your point about the mars thing that feels like its own form of um impending apocalypse just i mean it's not gonna happen in our lifetime anyway it really is just a pipe dream but I'm fascinated by just the mentality of somebody who thinks that's a thing, even if, for all I know, the person who's kind of spearheading that, I don't even know if he believes it, because I don't know if he believes a lot of what he says, but... Yeah, it's depressing. It's definitely like, um, I don't know. I, I, as a human being, like to add. My, like, my my creative impulse is based on it's not based in destruction. Like, like I understand that impulse that like, it's almost like the punk rock thing of like burn things down in order to build new things. Yeah. So there's a sense that maybe that whole narrative about leaving the planet and starting fresh somewhere ties into that. But, but I don't know. I think, um, I don't know. I think it's, it's very self. I just can't get with the, um, 
I just can't get with the idea that we have the right to use up all the resources in a space like that. That is, I'm, I, I don't believe in idealizing indigenous cultures because I think they have their had their own challenges and struggles and suffering and um, and uh, injustices and you know things that occurred before colonial invasion of different indigenous cultures but i do think the relationship to the earth and the sense that you know you use up the resources in the area with the idea of then you move on with the idea that you should be able to come back to it and allowed it to regenerate whether it's through burning it down or you know whatever it was um they had systems nomadic cultures of um making sure they didn't use all their resources forever in a way that was irreversible yeah. And that's something I think we can probably, uh, we need to re-embrace. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, instead of just this kind of peripatetic, parasitic relationship, I suppose, with it, if that's, I don't know, relationship seems makes it sound like, feel like it's more reciprocal than it is, when it's a pretty seemingly, in, in that instance anyway, one-sided element. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason about those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And maybe it's worse that we do know and that we still repeat it. Yeah, and it's funny because there's a lot of the, uh, like, I think part of kind of growing up and seeing clearly is that, you know, a lot of the initiatives that we relied on to kind of, quote unquote, do our part, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's recycling or getting an electric car or carpooling, there has been this consumer demand to feel empowered in terms of contributing to a healthier planet but also just becoming really it becoming so crystal clear that the 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 largest perpetrators are these corporations that really dwarf any individual you know crimes we're each committing by not recycling thoroughly or using gas cars or whatever so so i do believe that like as consumers we we do vote with our our um our dollars and i try and always make the hopefully like the least damaging choice if i'm going to buy something i'd rather buy it in in glass than in plastic etc but it's still it's hard to stay motivated when you know that how much of the um, how much of the solution is it really is out of our hands and rests in you know the, the the hands of these major corporations that don't seem to be governed at all. So I think this is like one of the areas that keeping morale up can be really difficult as an individual. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess it's like parenting. It's like you, you only have you know I I can only raise my kids with values that I believe in and then you kind of send them off out into the world to do their good little part in their little corner um but it's out of your hands the rest of it and that's sort of the surrender of um of life you know that the, the, the impact we make it's often very limited but it can be deep and i think thinking in terms of depth for me particularly as sort of like a not super super mainstream artist uh, trying to affect my society in terms of depth on a smaller scale rather than in terms of, um, you know, trying to make something that everybody understands and everybody uh, gets the same thing out of. No, and it makes total sense. And uh, that is something I 
I guess sometimes it depends on the day, but the the idea of uh, well, I guess it it boils down to you know think locally, act globally, but it's it's both. Some days it's all I can do is what I can do, but that still means something. But then again, on the bad days, it's like I'm just one person. What can I do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It yeah. just really depends. But hopefully, you know, thankfully being by nature an optimist allows me to have the good side of that mostly. But, you know, it's like a pandemic or no, it, life can be complicated and difficult and you just got to do what you can do. Yeah, I mean, I kind of am a big believer in the fact that one of the best things we can do is create atmospheres where uh, problems can be solved, if not by us, by those that come in contact with our atmosphere, you know? Hmm. So, like, if you're a positive person, um, you may never find the solution to uh, whatever the, the, the problem is that's affecting your life or your community, but you may just create, like, a vibration that inspires other people to have courage or optimism or... Um, I mean, I think a lot about that with music, like just what I want to do with a room when I play a gig. Um, I love the idea that the audience might walk away with slightly more courage mm. and slightly more like almost like feistiness, like that they're like ready to have another crack. You know, they're ready <laughs> to like have another swing. And who knows, that person may solve problems that flow back to me. Uh and I can enjoy the benefit of. So I think I think atmosphere, I don't know, the creation of atmosphere is, and the manipulation of atmosphere is like one of the, the big sort of undiscussed uh, tools that we have. Like I think part of um, one of the things that with, you know, with Trump that was hard to articulate and it continues to be hard to articulate is what he did to the atmosphere of the country hmm. in America. And um, it's it's not an intellectual thing. It's to do with the, the, the way that the way I had to explain to my daughter certain types of behaviors of humanity that I hadn't she hadn't been exposed to before. You know, it, it, it normalized a certain crudeness and a um and a volatility and an aggression and a macho aggression Mm. that just completely changed the atmosphere of living in america and that's not i'm not sort of a denialist who thinks america was a perfect country before trump came in but he amplified the aspects of uh, of american culture that are in some ways most dangerous yeah and i I think there's an added to your point like the added brazenness to something that already existed as well yeah yeah exactly and and i just think like what we can do yeah the way the way atmospheres create action is um we got to we got a real crash course in that you know in that a lot of the events socially that came out of a lot of the violence a lot of the a lot of the suffering seemed to begin with we begin with an atmosphere you know, and, and musically and culturally, you see that, like, there's often an atmosphere that's created between like-minded creative people. And there are conversations and there are, there's shared ideas and values before the art comes into creation. And that's why a lot of collaborations, like, I'm really big on just collaborations beginning with conversation between people. 
and you, then you find a place to meet and suddenly there's hope and there's this spark of life or that like anything's possible. And so I don't know, I just find myself more and more drawn to doing things that will create sort of positive creative atmospheres. Yeah. I like that a lot. It reminds me of like um, going to some concerts, like a Mates of State concert one time. It was, that's one of the many things I love about just live shows is you go in to this room filled with people not knowing anyone and depending on the show you come out of it and you're bonded in a way of in this singular way that is so delightful everybody feeding off this mutual energy and it's like you know hundreds of people walking out of a room feeling like they can conquer the world and then that to your point like can rub off on people it can create these ripple effects i mean honestly that could be <laughs> that could almost be more effective than like a piece of legislation something like that Totally. can be really beautiful. Totally. I love that. Totally. Well, it's, it's, it's something that we are empowered to do. Like we can each, we can each affect an atmosphere. It's something that is well within our power. And it's something that I, uh, I don't know. You see it with kids. You see the, um, you know, my daughter's kind of got this from both me and my wife where she can sort of like create a project and get her friends involved in it and suddenly they're all putting on a play or they're all selling things you know making brownies or whatever it is you know yeah and you just see it played out as a parent and also then the atmosphere you create for your kids like do they feel inspired to uh persevere through challenges or do they feel like giving up uh yeah it's really it's subtle stuff but it's really important I also do feel like, you know, just uh, humans being so inherently sociable and needing that mutual energy to feed off of and having some, I mean, d- depending on the person and, and the different precautions they took during all of this, having an absence of that, I mean, that really affected me, not being around people or not having the the reasonable access just because you don't want to get sick and you don't want to get anybody sick and, and everything of just it's a pandemic of course yeah but i do think that that was affecting me more than anything out of all this was that lack of human contact and being around people and having that community that was a big deal to me yeah and it's funny because i you know i know that it's become a big talking point of like the anti-mask and anti-restriction people of like fear is the real virus and all of that and i i don't i don't ascribe to that i think that covid was the real virus but um but i I do think that there are, there's a type of like PTSD and stuff, like when you live at a high pitch, but it's appropriate. I'm not saying it's not appropriate. Like we were really scared, particularly in the first year of COVID because Mm -hmm. of what we didn't know. And that's a very, that's an approach as a species that we needed to survive before there was houses with locks on doors. And, you know, we, we were a very, we were an exposed species and fear is part of what helped us survive because we took threats to our life very seriously and um, and didn't run headlong into dangerous situations. Those kind of people didn't survive. Um, but I do think it, it wears you down. And I think your nervous system, it's hard to maintain that level of stress and fear. Yeah. Um, and I think you can end up getting sort of depressed because uh, you've been living at a high pitch for too long. And it's not that COVID replaces anything. It's another thing. And it's all so, it's just all so much to process. It's an unfathomable thing of what this means, uh, what, you know, what the future is. It's, um, 
you know, it reminds me of talking to my therapist the other day about how she was saying that there was a paper out about how everybody's collectively going through some form of PTSD to the point where they're having to redefine or create a new word for this form of PTSD because that overall word just doesn't cover the seismic nature of this form of it. Absolutely. And and trauma is sort of interesting in that it's defined as like something unusual that happens. Um, mm. Like like trauma is inflicted because there's an unexpected stress placed on us. But when we all share it, and I guess that's what, you know, it's funny, my daughter's going through this phase of really liking that song American Pie by Don McLean. Yeah. Um, and I, so we're playing it in the car a lot. And I'm thinking about how it's about trauma and it's about generational trauma and um, what does it mean to suddenly lose on that scale these people who are providing a beacon of hope artistically? Um, and, you know, I, our generation of musicians went through that, I think, with, you know, Kurt Cobain and stuff. Um, but but it's, it is an ongoing story of, like, what do we do what do we do? How do we survive? How do we write new stories when the stories we've been living in come to a very abrupt end or a shift. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty wild. You know, I will say, you know, in the face of all this too, that like, it cannot be underestimated how adaptive and malleable humans are. Yeah. You know, like, it's a really beautiful thing that I know for me, as much as like change can be a really difficult thing, I also intellectually understand this is part of my process, I guess, and it sucks. And I wish I wasn't this way, but this is also kind of like how I am. But I also know that in like a week and a half, my life will be as if it's always been this way. Yeah. It's weird too with like, um, I think you have to think like that in a way to to be healthy and to move on. Um, I think the music industry, having lived through the shift from, you know, material music, purchasing material music to streaming, mm-hmm. um, I think that was traumatic. I think that has really traumatized a generation of musicians who not the next generation, like my kids are growing up with that. And so they, that's their reality. But it's almost like, I think in movies that went through this from like silent movies to talkies yeah. when there was, you know, you built an entire paradigm around your medium being one way and then it changed. And, but it's funny because whenever I get asked about, living through that and what was it like my general answer is i haven't been able to afford emotionally to spend more than a second thinking about that because my job as an artist is to ensure my own survival mm-hmm. and that involves pivoting with culture you <laughs> yeah. know and, and if, if that means getting on social media and then doing TikToks and then doing, you know, whatever it was, I was writing blogs and you move and it's like you keep moving with culture and it's a bit exhausting in the sense that I (laughs) recently I've been going like, wow, it is going to be sort of a delight in a certain sense to die and (laughs) to, um, and to let go of the need to keep up with the dynamic universe that we're in. But it's also like the joy of engagement. Because the artists I admire, like I think this whole thing with Neil Young and Joe Rogan and Spotify and everything, what I one of the things I admire about it is it's another time that Neil Young understands the importance of the distribution um, method of several generations after him. 
Yeah. You know, he's someone who has stayed as much as he stayed like connected to his roots and the way of doing things. He's continued to change and evolve. And I've always liked artists like that. Like, I don't, I don't think there's a point where you should sort of close the door. It's almost like then if marriages, like if they stop sleeping together or something, like <laughs> there's a point yeah. where like it becomes autopilot and artists go, well, that's the last new thing I'm trying. Now I'm just going to keep servicing my old audience. And look, it, that's fine, but I've just never been excited by that. I think um, I'd rather not grieve the music industry of the 80s and 90s and instead wake up and go, okay, how do I share my music today? Because uh, yeah, I think it's more, it's, more, it's more interesting. It's more hopeful. Absolutely. And also, though, it's, it's also probably like, well, this is what I have to do to to keep myself in music. Yeah. To to be a part of the community, to keep doing it. This is look for better or worse. This is the game, so I, I got to play it. Totally, and 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 you don't want to become bitter, you know, because yeah. bitterness is like, um, especially with artists, it's like really pushes people away. Like there's certain artists who are so good, like Joni Mitchell, that no matter how bitter she was about her experiences in the music industry, just the music was like at such another level, like an alien level of talent <laughs> that yeah. it didn't really dissuade. But, but, but a lot of people, you meet a lot of people who've been wounded through their involvement in the industry. And it ends up like creating this vibe where like they don't want to be part of it and it doesn't want to have anything to do with them. It's a bummer too, as a fan. Yeah. yeah it's a bummer. It's a bummer. And when I go to a show, you know, if it's an older artist, even if they're in, because careers go through cycles and they, I'm the kind of person who I, I like going to see artists at multiple points through their career, not just on the upswings. Yeah. Um, and if I, I go see, like say someone like Loudon Wainwright, I've seen him in big venues, little venues. I've seen him in phases where like the world was rediscovering or Jonathan Richman, like rediscovering him and then periods where they were sort of like forgotten. And I've loved them all because those artists, as soon as they got up on a stage, they were just doing their thing and giving it to the audience, you know? And um, and I always think it's like noble to stay connected to creativity and stay positive in that sense. Yeah, I think to your point, like, you know, the unfortunate thing is that there could be a line of demarcation between when an artist was, you know, the person you, the, the artist you understood them to be or the, or the artist that you knew them to be, I suppose. And then, you know, an Eric Clapton or something. And then the problem is that, that line of demarcation of before they said that and after they said that is completely blurred. And it's difficult for me to reconcile listening to their music when you know the things you know about them today. Yeah. And that sucks, selfishly, admittedly, as a fan. But then you also have somebody who I think would have, if he'd still be with us, you know, a David Bowie would have handled this beautifully. And it would have been an involved, interesting way to look at it because that's just who he was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And, I, and there's that thing of, you know, I don't know, Van Morrison's like such a great example because yeah. you you cannot deny his contribution musically. Um, he's become a seemingly unpleasant person. Uh, he probably was for a long time, but his, you know, he's, he seems to appear to have become a bit more of a dangerous presence in culture um, in the sense that his personal bitterness has... Um, I don't know, it's like Morrissey, you know, it started as personal bitterness. Yeah. And then it, it gets mixed up with politics. It's all, it's, it's like a lot of uh, just the way politics works, I think most successfully is, um, 
when it capitalizes on people's unexpressed and undealt with emotions and traumas and it gives them an outlet for it. And I think, you know, people that get really into like nationalism and stuff, they're often people that just, they're very hurt people. um, And they suddenly find something to stand up for or a group who's standing up for them going, see, your voice hasn't been heard. You, you know, I don't know whether it's like taking away your job or just, you know, whatever it is, like taking away your freedoms, like playing on your worst fears. Yeah, just playing on your worst fears. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes when artists are younger, they're able to contain that personal suffering as truly as a personal experience. Like I think Morrissey was. Yeah. Um, but then he has been drawn into a more, a type of collective rage um, that's made made him less interesting. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's made him a bit more just like your kooky racist uncle rather than you know, and easily dismissive than, unfortunately yeah, you know like yeah, somebody totally. somebody with such a an amazing you know breadth of work and knowledge seemingly and then like the van morrisons and the morrises of the world their their rage finds a cause and then we know about it and now i can't unknow that yeah totally totally that's one thing that i, I when his album when morrissey's like uh or not morrissey van morrison's two-part album came out you know during all of this i'd looked at it while i was talking to somebody on the podcast and i mean even the song titles are wild they're just angry like fuck facebook i think is one of them and it's just like i I don't know what to do with that i'm well actually i do um yeah (laughs) not listen to it yeah but but yeah it's uh it's wild i don't even know how to that's my delightful summation of it it's wild no but it's look it we i think artists public artists, not people that just do do it for themselves, but people that do it and share it with the world. They are each archetypes and they're each, um, they each present us with approaches to life. I think um, one of the things that, you know, captured people so intensely about this whole, that what happened at the Oscars with Will Smith and Chris Rock is that take out any personal morality around it. It, it it presented us with different alternatives of ways to deal with stressful situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and we each within that have to uh, force to confront what are we actually like? Like, I think the reason why it's helpful to live in communities as a species is we don't have to do everything. We get to watch each other do things and learn from that too. And I think the creative people don't realize often particularly people that start dealing with the media space and fame and all that, they don't realize that they really are going to play something out for the world to watch. Mm. And it's not always the thing you pick. You (laughs) know what I mean? Like, like things come into these artists' careers that were never on their, uh, like, um, whatever you call it, like in their mission statement, but life intervenes and, um, and you get to see what people are really made of under these stressful situations and under the scrutiny of the public. Um, and sometimes they surprise us with, you know, like I'm thinking about athletes, how the, the depths they can dig and what they can find in themselves, in their spirit mm-hmm. under pressure, like those kind of like basketballers who get the shot in the last, like, as the buzz is going, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. like there's a depth of something or like, 
there's you know, something in them that uh, they can just that they can harness and you know and the arrogance of myself sometimes i do think like i could do that and well, then we, i'm like no we i can. can't we can maybe not that maybe you can't yes. get that from the midway but what you're seeing is something that humans are capable of that we can do extraordinary things under pressure True. and um and we get to watch that in these public figures but we also get to watch the ways we can self-destruct and the ways we can destroy each other and it's um it's very powerful like watching these public creative people go through their careers and uh, and i they're still i think it's an area i've learned the most just by watching pop culture and watching everything there is to learn about the trials and tribulations of attempting to stand in front of the public and do your thing yeah i can't imagine i mean being anybody uh, your position or anybody else's to be a, a somebody of who is known to the public I don't know. The, the more I think about it, it's like the, the more known or more famous one is, the more I would feel like you have to really like consciously try to go the other way to maintain some semblance of reality because it can really get away from you. And then, you know, you could have a, a massive incident on a major scale like the Academy Awards. Yeah, like yeah. that's probably a very, I don't know. I think I'd probably lose my mind and have no concept of reality at a certain point as much as I'd like to think that. But, you know, it's almost like you have to, course correct that much harder consciously to try to get there or stay I, there i i agree and I, I think one of the things that um, my wife ioni and i have enjoyed about bopping back and forth between australia and america a bit yeah. is um i'm much more successful in australia and she's much more successful in america and okay. yeah you neither of us uh it forces you out of any bubble you have. Like, like I could live in Australia full time as a famous person. And yeah. that would be a very specific um, lifestyle in terms of the access I would expect to things. The um, when you meet new people, how much you expect them to know about you. It's a very like, there's really nice things about that, but it is a very, um, you're in a bubble, in a sense. Yeah, you know? I can almost see that being a little jarring if it's different from what you're used to. You know, yeah. if you're going back and forth. Uh, hopefully it's jarring in that regard. That's a good problem to have. Well, I find it I find it actually quite healing in that I never am forced to... Uh, I, I, I can't get too comfortable mm. in in that energy. But also... Every time I go back, I, I feel, wow, my music has touched a lot of people. And um, I do get that, not just ego, but like um, like a soul kind of buzz from feeling that my work, my life's work has had meaning to it. But I don't live in it to a degree that I become delusional about my um, my importance on this planet, you know. So, so it's yeah. kind of nice to navigate. And I think you see... Um, quite a lot of people who have success. Um, I know I'm thinking of like Eddie Vedder, um, but there's people who work really hard to put themselves in situations where they can be anonymous and be normal because they're aware what it does to your mind. If you live full time in a, in a movie that you're the lead character of. Oh yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, swim in it, but don't drown in it. It's, it's you know, within reason, kind of dip your toe in, I, I can imagine. Because, yeah, fame is a drug. 
that's what people say. I've not like I have any experience in that, but I could see where you can get into a mentality of more is more and you keep going and then it's hard to keep up. Yeah. But but to your point about like going back to Australia, yeah, it can also have like restorative powers to remind you if you needed a reminder of, wow, people love my music and this is amazing. This feels yeah. great. Well, we had a lot of, you know, just being in LA, it's a very, um, it's sort of like a rat race in its own, like everyone's working really hard and trying to pitch things and make an impression and develop projects. Mm. And then you drive down and you see billboards and there's people, you know, working on things like you can feel like you're in a real, um, a very um, closed circuit ecosystem in which spirits are just getting crushed daily. And then there's breakthroughs and celebrations, but then you go to other countries and you realize like, Oh, Hollywood is, um, it's a parallel story that people, they look at in magazines or on the TV every now and then, but they're not living in it in a way that makes it seem like the only reality. So it's nice Mm. to go in and out of, I think. And say, how was going back to Australia? Because you went in early December 2020, and then when when did you? Yeah, we come came back, back here. In September? Yeah, we came back November. November. Uh, November 21. Um, yeah, it was great. It was great, and and some of it was just you know for my daughter and stepdaughter. Like, I think different land has different feelings, like the nature, you know, mm. and just letting them like dig in and connect to like the the vibe of being in Australia was really great, and the I don't know. I love all the comedians and musicians down there. Like there's a lot of people that have become really good friends and that's a nice community. And it's just a different community. It's got a different value system. It's like, like I always think in Australia, it's more like Italy. It's more like a work to live type thing. Like every yes. people work hard, but so that they can uh, have a nice dinner and have a nice life and go out, have money to, <laughs> you know, have a to, to actually enjoy life. And, yeah. 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 Whereas in America, it's more like, it's people, it's life and death, people's pursuit of their dreams, <laughs> you know? God, you know, that's stung because it's true. Yeah. It, it also makes me, my perception of uh, Australia, like, as opposed to America, I just perceive it as having more of um, a relative serenity and, like, earthiness to it versus, I, I just don't feel like we really have that here. Um, but then again, I don't have the context that you do. Do you, do you think that's true at all or no? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, the American dream is, it's not just an American dream. It's in, it's kind of like infected and inspired people all over the world. Mm. Um, but so it's present in all other cultures. But, you know, the classic thing is, and I know we're coming to the end of this. So this is like, it's like sure. a can of worms opening. But, um, but the classic thing is like healthcare. Um, how much within the American, like, rugged individualism, um, having socialized medicine seems like an affront to people's freedom and individuality, which to everyone else in the world seems absolutely absurd. Like, yeah, it's literally, you could do. Yeah. it's literally like people, like a government saying, hey, you can have this for free. And Americans going, no, I want to pay for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, I want to be able to bankrupt myself with it. <laughs> like, it's just, um, it's just part of the mentality here that is, um, very unique. But with that, the silliness of an example like that, the flip side of it is you get these sort of wild genius, creative geniuses in America 
who are ready to rewrite the rule book completely on their own. Mm. And that is a wonderful quality. You know, that's the, that's the upside of the cowboy mythology. <laughs> um, yeah. That you just find people who dream really big and believe it to be possible and do it and achieve it, you know? And it's, I find that inspiring in America. Oh, absolutely. Like it's, it's like anything else. It's not all bad. It's not all good. You know, you do what you can with the bad, obviously, and try to minimize that as much as one can, but also try to focus on the good. And there's plenty to be had. And that comes out in plenty of different arenas, certainly art of, we get a lot of awesome things from that as a response to that in a lot of ways. Yeah. And the healthcare thing is like, yeah, to your point, it's, uh, it's like, I, I don't know. I see it as like, well, fuck Yeah. It's the least we could do. There you go. But yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. First of all, I really appreciate your time. Oh, I enjoyed it. I've seen different dates, June 17th, but also this, April 8th. Uh, the, the album's actually going to be pushed back again. And this is all just COVID and production yeah. line stuff, but I've done this video that's taking longer. So we're going to end up. I'm basically going to, in the next week, uh, announce a new timeline. So there's going to be like two more singles. And I think the album's actually going to end up coming out in August or something. Okay. So yeah, by the time this comes out, which will be in a couple weeks uh, or a week or 10 days from now, that should be out. So that announcement will already be out. So, okay. So scratch that. Not April 8th, to be determined, August, quite possibly. More singles to come though. First single, uh, fantastic. Absolutely love it. Thanks, man. And the video is great. A lot of fun. Right um, but yeah, thank you again for your time. Cool. I'm going to go into yep. uh, landing mode now. Thank you all for listening. Please stay safe. Please lead with empathy. Please be kind to yourself. Please be kind to others. Take care. Thank you again.